0: Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory
1: indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings Podcast, Episode 42. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always every week, is rockabilly pioneer, Mitchell Davis. What's up?
0: Hey. What's going on, man? Good to hear you.
1: Good to hear you too, man. Um, yeah, we've uh, been off for a few weeks, but we're back, and uh, we've got an all rock and roll show this time. I I, I was thinking about it. And I was like, have we ever had a show that was just rock and roll? I don't uh, think we away have.
0: Away from the Beatles, no, not really. I, I don't think we have. You're right. You're right.
1: Yeah, maybe the Be- Yeah, maybe the Beatles was. I can't remember. What was what else was on there? But, um, yeah. but yeah, so this is an, an all rock and roll show. Uh, we're starting with The Coasters, um, a couple tunes of theirs, and then uh, Eddie Cochran, a couple tunes of his. And we're going to end with Joe Cocker, um, his album Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And uh, like I said, we're going to start with The Coasters. You know, The Coasters in the book, in the you know 1,000 Recordings book, um, The Coasters and Eddie Cochran... These aren't albums; these are singles, and I think—and I could be wrong here—but I think the reason that these are presented as singles is that they were released as singles, like yeah. on forty-fives, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't—I
0: I don't think there was a, an album released with either one of these songs, even though now, you know, obviously you can go out and find, you know, Coasters', Coaster's anthology or, you know, even Eddie Cochran anthology. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. The singles was the way to go back in the day, where you know people weren't going to invest as much, you know, in an artist, you know, to put out a a full length, you know, but a single would, you know, could be as big as an album. I mean, back in those days. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, this was uh, kind of the era of that, of the 45 single. Um, The first track that we're going to listen to from the coasters is Yakety Yak, which I think was actually a B-side of one of their, you know, 45 single releases originally yeah. it was released in 1958 um and i believe reached number one on the pop chart
0: that is true uh number yeah. one u.s pop charts that is true yes uh number one uh rock and r&b um yep that is true <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah so the coasters were kind of uh uh the performers, right? Um, the the songwriting team behind them was uh, a couple guys named uh, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Yeah. So they yep. wrote all these songs. They came up with this sort of formula of uh, I don't know how they viewed sort of uh, suburban teenage life or something
0: yeah um, when, when when i look at this song and and kind of read into the lyrics is and then at how it, it relates to kind of kids then you know what song came to mind uh it was the beastie boys fight for your right
1: because <laughs> dude it, i it never really, would have even made that connection that's awesome it really
0: is like the same thing except yeah. for like you know 1955 or 56 or whatever wow and, um, yeah you're totally you know, right and, and that's that's the first thing that came to my mind it was just like you know Oh man, I gotta, I gotta take the trash out again. You know, I, I, I'm listening to my, my mom and dad grind on me. You know that that's kind of what I got, but it's in a in a funny way where it's it's lighthearted and and you you want to dance to it. So, so. Oh hi, hello. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. But anyway, like um, that's that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was, and it didn't really dawn on me until I started reading the lyrics to this song, and I was like, "That's that's fight for your right," <laughs> you know, and um, and it was just a like like I said, a lighthearted way of of kind of dealing with the 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 blues of of like being young and 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 having to deal with you know all that comes with it, you know, and. and and in, and in the, in the, like the, the book says, the coasters, they weren't like really flashy and, you know, as, as a lot of the, the doo-wop groups of that time were, but they kind of had a knack for, you know, making songs like this, you know. Charlie Brown's another, you know, another example, real funny, you know, kind of, you know, had a lot of hooks to it and, you know, just, just one of those songs that, you know, kids can relate to, you know, yeah. and, and dance to and, and not just... You know you know black kids but white kids and, and that was a fun thing about the coasters is that they they had a, a crossover appeal that uh was very easy you know very easy to appreciate I think uh for them and you know and and the the, the guys that that wrote their songs I mean they I, I went I went looking at them I mean just look at those names they have a long history of, of songs that they wrote I mean you know a, a ton of rock and roll songs and i mean we could probably do a show just on them i think i mean you know they they have quite a few songs in the can that they they've written and, and just for the coasters i mean they had they had some really good ones you yeah know, so
1: yeah yeah and also um yeah I, I just thought the another interesting thing uh, about their group and this song was king curtis the saxophone player mm-hmm. um He's a pretty interesting dude himself, Um, and he he not only played with the coasters, I mean, he played with everybody, Yeah, Um, yeah. and he was actually born in Texas, another Texan. He was born in Fort Worth, and was actually a classmate of Ornette Coleman.
0: Mm, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, Um, but yeah, he had a long career. He he died tragically um, in New York, I think in the 70s, it said... Where he, uh, I, I guess the story was there was a couple of, I don't know, drug users or something. That's what it said, on, on like sitting on his steps. And uh, he went to go tell him to move and they got into an argument and uh, he got stabbed. Uh. And then, uh, I mean, all these huge, I mean, at his funeral in New York... Um, you know, all these huge artists at the time, including like Stevie Wonder and all these people performed at his funeral. And uh, I think he's one of these people that was just super, you know, respected in the industry, not really super well-known, you know, to most yeah. people, but
0: yeah, I know that, I mean, he had a long history with, with Atlantic records and the whole, you know, Memphis stacks era. And, you know, um, I think soul serenade is that one song of his that sticks out of my mind that, that people still they still cover, especially if anybody plays a saxophone you know that that song is like it's it's constantly constantly brought back you know and it's it's just like it's like his signature tune soul serenade you know and um i mean and it's one of those songs where you may not even know who he is or the name of that song but it it it's so recognizable that that hook in soul serenade that that i mean people raise oh yeah i know that now what's the name of it? i don't know but it's like that that kind of song you know but yeah yeah king curtis was yeah he pr- apparently just you know played with, like you said with everybody I- i'm looking here now he i didn't know that he played with uh apparently john lennon for a minute there i that i didn't know you know
1: yeah yeah I'm so the dude was was all over the place
0: yeah um, but they yeah, he was like the fifth The fifth coaster Yeah Right that works <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah so let's uh, Let's check this out This uh, first track Cool This is uh, Yakity Yak By the Coasters
0: Take out the papers and the trash Or you don't get no spending cash If you don't scrub that kitchen floor You ain't gonna rock and roll no more don't go back. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out outside, or you don't go out Friday night. Yag-a-dee-yay. Don't go back. You just put on your coat and hat and walk yourself to the laundry mat. put out the cat yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't toe back.
1: Yak yakety yak by no the coasters, noise. and we're gonna hear just another tune of theirs, so we can hear a couple things. Uh, Young blood. This was another single that was released. Um, I I read that this was also co-written by Doc Pomus, mm-hmm. um, who we listened to, uh, you know, an album of his songs earlier on. Um, different show. Different show. Yeah. Um, and and I'm struggling to remember the singer's name. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this tune is, I mean, you know, these tunes are fun tunes. They're not anything super deep or anything. This is, uh, I mean, really this tune is like, you know, they see a young chick on the corner, you know, that he, that he likes. He asks her name. He follows her home, you know. Her dad says, Don't mess with my daughter.
0: Yeah, that that's that's very key. <laughs> the song that you better leave my daughter. That, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's so classic. I mean, I love that. I mean, that's one of the things that made this song kind of stick out of my mind. Uh my, my dad used to, you know, talk about um, you know, when him and my mom were younger. And and you know, he he did almost the same thing and, and got that you know, you better leave my daughter alone from my my mom's dad, and you know, scared the hell out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, see, I mean, I you know, that's I mean, it relates to kids today, you know. I yeah, you know, I'm well, that pretty was sure. was like, can
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. No,
0: no, no, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I don't know. It seems just like that was the sort of stock voice for the old square parental figure type. Mm-hmm. You know, where you like get really close to the mic and talk like this. Mm-hmm. And it, it even happened in Eddie Cochran, like the same exact thing in uh, Summertime Blues. He did the same thing where like at the end, he's like, "I," you know, he asked a senator for help. And it is said, it's the exact same thing. It gets right close up to the mic in the low voice, and he said, you know, I'd like to help you, son, but you're too young to vote, or something yeah. like that.
0: Just to give that that stern, you know, serious response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, I can see that, how both of those kind of relate, yeah. <laughs>
1: I think it's interesting that these got these are right next to each other in the book, because we're just going alphabetically. And You know, they were both released in the same year, 1958.
0: And uh, Yeah. That's funny how that worked out.
1: Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much the song. You know, he, like, sees a chick on the corner, follows her home, her dad tells him to go away, and then he sits at home and obsesses about her. That's pretty much the song right there.
0: Yeah, and, um, I mean, that, again, just going back to, you know, um, Lieber and Stoller, they, they just had a, a great, great style of, of writing. I mean, you know, if you look through their history, especially with, I mean, some of the bigger songs that they wrote – I mean, were for Elvis. I mean, they wrote Hound Dog. Well, no, not they didn't write Hound Dog, or did they write Hound Dog? Yeah, they did, I think. Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock, um, Stand By Me with Benny King. I mean, they they just had just a huge, huge long list of songs, you know, that still to this day are considered, you know, rock and roll classics. And yeah. with the coasters, I mean, they they had such a, a great, great you know, run a success and with the style that the coasters had, and the songwriting style they had. I think it was just a huge influence on on groups like that. That that's kind of saying doo wop, kind of lighthearted, funny styles, and you know the 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 saxophone in the background. That the saxophone in a lot of these songs, I mean, is just is so so important to give that 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 element of of you know kind of. You know, boppiness, if you will, and 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 you know, danceability with everything else that's going on. I mean, I just think this is this is just rock and roll at at the very beginning that was just so influential, you know, to so many groups. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then like I said, it it had such a great appeal where it crossed over on both sides and 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 was you know able to kind of you know break down maybe some barriers, if you would. You know. Um, yeah. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, let's check it out. Cool. Okay, the last track from the Coasters. This is Young Blood.
0: I saw her standing on the corner, oh, oh, a ribbon in her hair. Oh, oh, I couldn't keep myself from shouting, oh, Look at that! Look at that! <laughs> look at that! Look at that! Young blood. What's your name? What's your name? Yonder My alone. Well, I couldn't sleep a wink for oh, oh, I saw
1: the And we just heard young blood by the coasters and we're gonna move on to our second album Eddie Cochran um, his single summertime blues released like I said in the same year. That the coasters uh, released their tunes, 1958, um, and uh, you know Eddie Cochran, he has a very interesting story, um, very tragic but interesting story. Uh, his whole thing is just like a, like his whole life is kind of like a movie. It almost it almost reads like a movie script. It's it's not real, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, he started playing music when he was young, dropped out of high school in his first year of high school to become a professional musician. Uh, And when he was like 18 years old or something, um, he recorded this demo uh, track and then was asked to be, to perform that song in a movie. Uh, This movie, the girl can't help it starring Jane Mansfield. It was sort of a musical comedy and he's actually in the movie and performs this song. I mean, he's this completely unknown kid.
0: That that's sudden, that's something too that I was really surprised by that that he was he was in movies. I was like, yeah. Are you kidding me? You know, yeah. I never knew that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: I mean you'd expect maybe once his career got going and people know who knew who he was, he would get put in a movie. But in this instance, he was a complete unknown. Yeah. And he got put in this movie. That's how he got discovered. He was in this major movie. Yeah. And then once he was there, uh, he got discovered, he was signed to Liberty Records. Uh, to a recording contract and uh, that's really how his whole career got started um, and then he you know was you know in the Los Angeles area Hollywood um, started recording a bunch of his own songs was also a studio musician and played guitar um, on a lot of different other you know recordings for other artists um, and really was super busy Um for the short time that he had you know yeah yeah um and then at age 21 uh he went on tour in britain and was in a car accident and was killed and that was you know that was it i mean just man just a such a fast um you know frenetic career and really produced a lot of stuff you know in just such a short amount of time and then just just yeah and the thing and the thing
0: about him being in britain too apparently he he was extremely hot in britain i mean like was he was selling out venues where over here it was much tougher for him to get a break one of those stories where an, an artist for whatever reason finds more success you know in a country that's not their native country and um i mean that was apparently part of the reason he was over there i think they were in a car where they were going at a really high rate of speed and um they, I think they had like a blowout or something yeah. and it was him, him and his, at the time, what was going to be his wife. I don't think they were married yet or I'm, yeah, so, I'm trying to I think remember. You're right.
1: I think you're right. And,
0: and, um, cause he, I remember, I remember, I think he was talking about when they get back to the States, he was going to, they were going to get married and, you know, but it, you know, obviously it, it didn't happen. And, um, yeah, man, just the, the guy was only 21 years old, um, I think also too his story, you know, kind of lays down how as much work as he did and and as revered as some of his work is now looking back, it was really tough to get a break back in those days for a lot of artists, you know, even now. But but in those days, still, it was just so tough when you had guys that just, you know, they were like dominating their their so-called era, if you will, um. Like, like people like Elvis and, and stuff like that. It was really hard. You know, you may get one or two breaks and maybe that's it. I mean, but the guy had such a, like you said, a work ethic and uh, the, the, the use of, of using tracks or multi-tracking in songs. Apparently, he was, he was one of those guys who was like an innovator of that, where he he would lay down, you know, two guitar tracks, like an electric and an acoustic one you know for his his stuff and kind of give it a thicker sort of atmosphere and even with his voice i mean he would he would layer his voice to kind of you know kind of have this harmonic you know sort of bounce where you know it just made the song you know just larger than what it would have been you know with just a single track you know and it's, yeah. it's so many people were so used to because of the way that that whole work ethic you know let's let's get in here let's mash this out let's hurry but he was just one of those guys that would that would kind of tinker a little bit longer and and let's say let's do this and that and maybe kind of enhance you know a sound that that maybe is going to be a little bit different from everybody else and that's something that that I I'm starting to look at now with his stuff and look back and try to catch those things and and see what you know he was doing that that kind of influenced the whole industry if you would yeah so.
1: yeah yeah I think he was one of those is instrumental in um Cause you know a lot of pop music and like highly produced pop albums, um, it really evolved into a studio art. You know more more of a studio art than a live art. You know oh, what yeah. I
0: mean? Oh yeah, big time. And yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, he was one of the early innovators in the of that. You know, uh, I guess that transition from a uh, live art to a studio art. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. And, and I, I've got respect for both. I mean, you know, there are some people that they just they will not overdub anything. Somebody. Who uh who used to talk about that, Tom Petty said he he was really hardcore against that for doing it a very long, long time. I think he's kind of broke broken away from that a little bit, maybe not much, but he was just one of those guys he refused to do overdubs. You know, he was like, I wanted to sound in the studio the same way that it'll sound on stage. I don't want to have to right, right. change up much. And then I mean, you know, he met, you know, some other people that kind of Twist them a little, you know, Dave Stewart from eurythmics and then Jeff Lynn, who who kind of revolutionized, you know, Tom Petty's sound for a minute there. I mean, in a big way. Um, but yeah, he, you know, it's I like I said I have respect for both both sides. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon is one of those records that without overdubs and 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 tinkering in the studio, it would never have sounded the way that it, it wound up. You know, resulting in. I mean, we would not have that record. It would be a, a much different record without. Yeah, yeah. You know, multi-tracking. I, obviously, in that case, it's like a, it was a big one. You know, <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, man. Let Let's check out this first track. Cool. Um, this is Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran.
0: I'm a gonna raise the bus, I'm a 1st I'm gonna. Raise Just to try to own a dollar Every yeah, time I call my baby Try to get a date My boss says No oh Dad, son, I you gotta work late
1: Sometimes I wonder What I'm gonna do But there ain't no cure For the
0: summertime blues. Oh, well, my mom and papa told me Son, you gotta make some money won't use the car to go a ride next Sunday. Oh, well, I didn't go to work, told the boss I was sick. Now you can't use a car, cause you didn't work on it. Sometimes I wonder what I'm going to do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime
1: blues. And we just heard Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues. Um, this is terrible to admit, but the first time I ever heard this song when I was a kid, and it forever remind me of it, was uh, in Caddyshack. <laughs> oh wow!
0: <laughs> yeah, that, I, I always think <laughs> about the, the Blue Cheer version, that the the real fuzzy hard one. Uh huh. You know, that's I, I I still I think that may have been the first time I ever heard it. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to think. I mean, because both of them came before me. But anyway. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the next track we're going to check out is Genie, Genie, Genie. Um, this one, yeah, it's just a, uh, hard rocking sort of, uh, you know, dance tune.
0: Got a rockabilly like, feel about it.
1: Rockabilly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It just captures that feeling of late fifties dance and he's, you know, calling out a girl to come dance with him and yeah <laughs> yeah
0: I mean it's, it's another one of those examples of how it's a great song but it was just not one of those songs that that was a big big hit for him and um, I think he was just one of those guys like I said it was just he was just in an era where the competition was so tough and I mean it wasn't that his music was you know lacking it was just it was hard to get a break then i mean you know summertime blues being it it was his biggest hit you know still you know had to compete with with so many other things that were out at that time you know where you know you think that 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 song maybe was a number one hit it, it wasn't you know it was a big hit for him but uh you know it was it was it was tough to make it in those days i mean. You know, rock and roll was one of those businesses where they, you know, they didn't give people a lot of chances unless they they had hits, and yeah, and that's one of the reasons why he wound up leaving the states. I mean, because he he wound up making his form fame and fortune. I mean, for what it was worth, you know, somewhere else. You know, he had to, and um, but uh, this is a good song, and like you said, it's just kind of you know, like you know, real danceable and and you know, kind of targeted obviously at you know younger market and you know just yeah. one of those songs that he I'm sure he was hoping would do better you know but uh
1: yeah well I mean I like this song because um it really just epitomizes that uh that feeling you know that vibe that attitude yeah. you know that was so influential to rock and roll that I mean just you know everything that this song is is rock and roll and it just radiates out to everything that came after it, you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I, I, I do. When when I hear this song, uh, a song kind of reminds me of is is "Let's Go." Uh, it's like a that Richie Vallon song. I mean, they're not they're not really exactly alike, but it it kind of gives me that same that same feel. Just kind of you know, really light and kind of you know, upbeat and you know the the twang in that guitar. I mean, like you said, I mean it it, it sounds like a song that it it went on to influence so many other songs. Even though it wasn't maybe as popular as some of the songs that came after it, um, and I think that's that's one thing that 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 will be tied to his legacy is that he was just kind of like a forerunner to rock and roll that that probably would have had much bigger success had he lived longer. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously he wanted to influence other people. I mean, you know, when they and they just covered "Summertime Blues." I mean, that song in itself has been covered by, you know. Lots of people. I mean, I, I just talked about Blue Cheer, and I think uh, even Alan Jackson, the country artist, has has done uh, done like a, a a version of it. You know, that was really popular. Um, but you know, like I said, it's sometimes you know it's 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 in the, the guy's legacy, and and this guy went on. I mean, as far as you know, rockabilly sound. I mean, Brian Setzer. That's another guy who I'm I'm pretty sure has has taken a lot of what he's done. You know, and and laid it on you know influence from Eddie Cochran I, I'm sure he could he could probably come on this show and school us you know for hours about Eddie Cochran you know he's just one of those guys that he kind of has that even that look and sound you know?
1: yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah 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 I mean even plays the same kind of guitar and everything exactly
0: but... exactly uh, yeah, you're right
1: yeah. Um all right man Were you ready to check out this last track yes sir Alright, man, this is the last track from Eddie Cochran. This is Genie, Genie, Genie. Well, baby, baby, you won't
0: have to wait. I'll be ready, eh? I keep on knocking at your front door. Oh, the cats are hopping at the man. big fireball. Genie, 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 when we reach the so hall. Oh, well, we're rocking around the parking lot. Really, uh, and Well,
1: we just heard Genie 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 by Eddie Cochran and we're going to move on to our last album joe cocker his live album from 1971 mad dogs and englishmen um you know i was thinking when i was listening to this album and reading about just everything you know surrounding the album and uh surrounding the time of the early 70s and all this stuff um this is just kind of an aside but uh i was just thinking you know what a different world and and uh Atmosphere! What a different music it was from the stuff we just heard. You know what I mean? So the stuff we just heard uh, was released in 1958. This released in 1971. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think you know, like of our own time, like from 1998 to 2011. I mean, it's not that different, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I mean yes and no, but I mean if you. it was a different, I mean, it was a much different era. You got to think about the, the beginning of rock and roll in the 50s and then the evolution of rock from there to the 70s. Yeah, that that's a very tumultuous, I would say, period where things changed radically. Yeah, yeah I, I would totally agree with you there. Now, I mean, as far as like, let's say, even just from the early 90s to now, I mean the the thing about that is I mean it's not necessarily the, the the change in music rock and roll wise, but I would say the change in music in in the influence of hip hop and rap music. I mean, that would be the big one there. I mean, especially right, right. in the early nineties where you know, before before I mean not trying to get away from Joe Cocker and what, what's going on here, <laughs> but that that was just a period where for so long rap music was thought of as just kind of like a novelty where, where you had groups like the Fat Boys and, and Two Life Crew and and then Biz Marquis. And then even when when, you know, the heavy hitters came in, like LL and you know, artists like that, I mean it was it was still people were kept thinking rap is gonna go away. And then all of a sudden when when the whole sound scan thing started and and you have your your first big rap release that that sound scans at number one it's a it's a title that i can't really even say on the show without offending people you know but it was an nwa album and i mean if if you think about it in that period people will figure out what album it was but it was it was just a it was a different era i, I mean i i look in 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 that time and i'm like okay this is this is interesting because i never really thought that i would see a, an nwa album be like the number one album in the country. And if it wasn't yeah. for SoundScan, it still wouldn't have been, you know, it, it, it was just a change in where people were realizing, okay, rap is very serious. Rap is going to make money. Rap is going to be the future for a lot of this industry. So, you know, this is way before Eminem and, and a lot sure. of that. And yeah, so yeah. anyway, back, back to Joe Cocker. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So Joe Cocker, um, this, this, You know, he, he, uh, was coming, you know, coming up, you know, in the rock scene, uh, at this time, um, he had actually performed at Woodstock, but when he performed at Woodstock, you know, he wasn't hugely known. No. Um, and, and even, even in, uh, the early seventies in 1970, um, in 71, I mean, he was known, but not again, not hugely known. Um, he certainly wasn't like a chart topping artist in it or anything at this point yeah, um,
0: but he was hot though that
1: he was hot you know he was yeah. coming up and uh you know i I guess they felt they could take you know a chance um i this just i mean it reminds me of I, I've been reading this um this article about this sort of ties into what I call. Or or what I would you know wrote down in my notes is sort of like the decadence of the early seventies or the extravagance, oh yeah, yeah because definitely. um a tour you know a tour like this to put a put together a tour like this with a band like this with over thirty band members and all this stuff i I don't think you know I don't know, I don't think you could do that now, especially with an artist that that wasn't that big at the time well um, and
0: that's a very, very good point because. And, and I'll, I'll go to, to Joe Cocker, you know, in a second, but I think a big part of that uh, was was Leon Russell. I mean, he was just like this Bengali where he he knew all the parts that would work in this band and he knew them in a way I think like nobody else could have. And it was just basically a band assembled by him to really match the intensity that Joe Cocker was going to bring on a live stage. And I mean, Joe Cocker in studio, I mean, going back to the whole, you know, studio, multi-tracking, you know, overdub, all that. It's one thing to get him in the studio, but I think him on stage, he's like a, he's a different animal, almost literally, where he was so intense and so strong. I mean, I don't think a regular, you know, four or five piece band could match him. There's no freaking way. And I think that's what, you know, Leon realizes that I'm going to have to get a band that's just as as bold and as big as his sound, you know, and it's going to be little pieces here and there that some of these people are going to be like, who the hell are these folks? You know, but Leon knew who they were and he knew what they could do. And it it just kind of worked out to where. You know, if a certain piece wasn't working, he could move it over here and arrange it here. And and it, he was just really, really smart, I think, in that sense to to be able to conceive and then arrange it and play a part of it on stage, you know, in a sense to where I, I liked Leon Russell before I started reading about this record. But now I really have a much more tremendous respect for his his conception, so to speak because this is not an easy thing to pull off. I mean, this could have been a train wreck, you know, as, as yeah, big as it yeah. was. I mean, like you said, I mean, there's, there's like three dozen people, you know, at any given time on this stage. I mean, it, it could have been an awful nightmare, but you know, it, it turned out to be, especially watching clips from the film, the audiences love them. I mean, if you go and look at some of the footage of, of the tours that they did, I mean, some of the songs they would play them and they'd stop playing and the audience was still singing where they'd have to start playing the song again. You know, I mean, it was, (laughs) it was insane. I was like, okay. And that that's what made me realize that that at that period that Joe Cocker was a, it was a very hot act to go see at that time. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, I was, I, I never really conceived it how, you know, Joe Cocker could have been, you know, as, as hot as he was, he was, he was very hot. Um, and, and very in demand, so to speak. So, yeah. And it, and I I really am impressed by this record. I mean, and his performance, the band's performance. I mean, just really, really good stuff.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just constantly amazed when I read about music from this time, about you know what they could do, just like economically speaking. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to put together all these musicians. I mean, what I what. uh what I started thinking about this was I was reading this article about the moody blues of all people Mm -hmm. and about that, you know what it was like for them during the early seventies. And they were saying, and they were talking about just this, this extravagance and decadence of the time. And they were saying that when they were touring in the early seventies, they had their own Boeing 707 jet Mm. that they would tour around in. And in this jet was like, you know, separate bedrooms in a bar in a dance floor, and they would, <laughs> and and they would also hire this guy to play organ on the plane. Just, I mean, just like to do it, you know. So this guy would pl- be playing organ. They would be, you know, boozing it up with a bar and dancing around on the dance floor on their plane, and you know, it's just like what, you know, I can't. It's just a different time. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. You know that that the, that stuff was like that was economically possible. Yeah, well, <laughs> you I, mean, know? I mean,
0: you know, the the extravagance in a sense. I mean, some of it you could probably relate to just someone just enjoying what the band brought, and I'm I'm sure some of that stuff. You know, I mean, I don't understand how you get you get copped a jet, but you know, let's just say you got someone who's really rich and they like your music and go, hey, you know what? if you guys need a jet, I have a private jet that you can use. Cause I mean, I mean that, I mean, that's really the truth of some of this where it's just about the who and, and the who that, you know, I mean, yeah, that's I'm sure true. I'm, yeah. a lot of that, I mean, cause I'm sure they, they, they had money, but some of that stuff, it was just, people just saying I'll do you a favor. And then, and then in turn, you know, got to be in the inner circle, so to speak. I'm sure there was quite a bit of that. I mean, cause I mean, in, in, the film for for Mad Dogs and the Englishmen. There's a part where they they kind of focus on the band's groupies, if you will. Um, that's really interesting. Um,
1: and I've really got to watch this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if, if people go to our our website or our, our Facebook page, it's it's posted there. It's it's quite interesting. Um, that's another influence, I'm sure, where you know people were just. Wanting to be involved, not necessarily for what they might be paid, but what they could be, you know, receiving on the road and, you know, terms of that kind of thing. And I, and that kind of stuff, it's it happens. It's rock and roll. I mean, a lot of guys, they get into rock and roll simply for stuff like that, you know. So, I mean, and, and also to some people who weren't really famous when this started, you know, like Rita Coolidge. I mean, she was one of the background singers. And and that's another thing about this record. Some of the background singing is excellent. I mean, you'll have like seven or eight background singers, I mean, just going at it. And I mean, it's just beautiful stuff to me. I mean, sometimes the background singing on a song can be more interesting than the lead. And in this case, at times, it is. And that's not easy, you know, when you're going up with Joe Cocker. I mean, he I mean, he is a heavyweight when it, when it comes to you know a distinctive strong vocal and i mean obviously his stage presence i mean sometimes it looks like the guy is is having a fit i mean like literally you know is he going to fall over i mean what's what's going on with him but it was just the way that he got that energy out i mean part of it was almost like a, it's, it's like he's channeling something you know cuz when he's off stage he's so calm and his demeanor is so different but when he's on stage, I mean he's a maniac. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I yeah. just I, I still am amazed by it. I mean, even though he's older now, I mean, he still carries some of that same demeanor. When you see him perform now, I mean the arms flail a little bit less, but that that hard, you know, gut bucket voice, it's, it's still there. I mean, you know, and like I said, I Leon Russell and Joe Cocker, I I both had a, a love for them before this. But after going through this record and watching this movie, I have a much bigger respect for the both of them and, and this band that this was amazing an amazing band. I mean, obviously, you know, not, not to ramble on too long. the, The Beatles were a very, very important part of this. I mean, they, they cover, you know, about seven or eight Beatles songs, you know, as they tour. And I mean, the influence of the Beatles cannot be denied on this record. I mean, it's, it's very, very huge the 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 influence that they owe to the Beatles, and I mean yeah. to take a, a Beatles song that is you know already kind of established and loved, and make a cover where you almost make it a different song. That's not easy either. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were not cool with it, but I mean to take it and, and make it your own. You know, you know, I Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton, I will always love you you know that kind of stuff doesn't happen real often where you do take a song that was really big and then make it even bigger you know in some respects after the fact so you know again oh, yeah. like i said just you know the leon russell i think was was really smart in how he he put this band together and 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 had it arranged is 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 just really good record i mean it's it's a record i i would love to own there's I, apparently there's like a deluxe version now that has extra songs because i mean obviously they had a lot of songs being on tour you know in, in different cities i mean you know it's a record i definitely would i would recommend people pick up
1: oh yeah absolutely uh let's check out the first track cool uh you were talking about beatles covers this is a beatles cover um with a little help from my friends What would you do if I said how to do? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Bend years ears I sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of you just heard joe cocker with a little help from my friends and
0: uh i can't i can't hear that song and not think about the wonder years i don't know if anybody ever do you ever watch the wonder years oh yeah i remember that that's that's show. like yeah i cannot hear that song and not think about that show and and all of the different you know mellow teenage melodrama if you would <laughs> <laughs> anyway
1: yeah 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 um yeah this album uh you know i Joe Cocker is a singer. He's not a songwriter. So this album is really all covers, right? It's a uh, uh, covers and, and songs that were written by other people. Yeah. Um, and it's a really interesting collection. Uh, like you said, a lot of Beatles covers, uh, even like some Rolling Stones, some uh, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even a song in here by Isaac Hayes. Yeah. Um, of several Leon Russell Uh, There's even a song on here on the album Bird on a Wire by Leonard Cohen, who we're going to talk about next week. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, the second uh, song that we're going to listen to is Feeling Alright. This is a song by Dave Mason uh, and originally recorded by Traffic, the group with uh, Steve Winwood. Mm -hmm. And Dave Mason uh, was the guitarist in that group. He's also another industry heavy hitter you know like worked with a lot ton of people wrote a lot of music that that was recorded by a lot of different people and um you know very successful dude like that but um yeah this is just sort of a another sort of iconic song that that like you said you know that that was done before and was a good song before but you know joe cocker just has this way of taking it and making it his own and it's yeah. sort of like you know, it's almost like the definitive version, even though it wasn't the original version.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. and that yeah. like I said again, that's not easy. That's yeah, not easy to not take a song that was established and made a hit and then do it again and make it maybe even better or, or totally different. Where like you said, you make it your own. And I mean, you know, Smoking Joe, he could do it. I mean in, in a way that it, it still carries over. I mean, this song, okay, anybody that saw, you know, Denzel flying the plane upside down, you know, this song, <laughs> it, it permeates this movie where, you know, he's lit up like a Christmas tree, but this song is playing in the background whenever he is, and I mean, and it's ironic because the, the song is, you know, I'm, I'm feeling all right, you know, I'm not feeling too good myself. I mean, it's pretty much his his whole Persona. I mean it, it it's one of those songs that it it carried over on to that as, as well as I think you know other things that, that I've seen. I was, there was a commercial that I saw this song into and it it's still it's still like one of those songs that's really, really popular, you know, and it still gets played, you know, here and there. And and just the the play on on him and, and the background singers in this song, I mean, I love it. You know, it it's kind of loosey goosey. That's like the, the word that kept coming in my mind. I mean, they're a good band, the, the, the performances are talented, but, but it's kind of loose throughout. And I mean, that's one of the things that helps this kind of move along where it kind of has that kind of groove. It's, it's not too tight, you know, it's not too, you know, constricting. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. It, it has a, It has a rock and roll feel. It kind of has a soul and blues feel. You know, it, it's got a lot of stuff going on with it. At times, it felt it feels like, especially when the bands are really, really jamming, almost like you're in church. And I mean, you know, I'm sure people in the church would probably disagree, but I mean, <laughs> and it just depends on what kind of church you go to. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's just one of those things where it it, it the spirit just kind of takes over, you know, in a sense. And and that's that's one of the things I love about this. And and like I said the respect for the band not coming off the rail, like, you know, a 36 car train. I mean, cause it could have very easily and sometimes maybe, maybe it did, but, but most of the performances that, that you, you see here or listen to here, I mean, they're just amazing. I mean, amazing, yeah. especially the way they, they kind of get loose and jam. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it seems like a group of people that became a family as they were touring and got to know each other and got to trust each other somewhat where when they were on stage, you know, if something a little different or weird happened, it was just kind of like, you know, let's just go with it. You know, as long as, you know, you know, Leon's not like, you know, throwing his hat at anybody, I'm sure we're fine. You know, and, and I'm sure there were nights where they, you know, they, they kind of got, you know, away from what they originally wanted to do and then wound up in a much better place than, where they expect it i mean that can be really fun when you have a band like that 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 can be more spontaneous and and kind of still you know stay within the realm of so to speak of what they were originally going for you know yeah Um, yeah
1: yeah and i think this is just an album that you know everything had to be just right for this to work i think you kind of talked about this earlier but, I mean, his voice, Joe Cocker's voice is so, like, idiosyncratic. You know what I mean? And, and like and like I said earlier, you know, he's, he's not writing his own music. And so a lot of credit has to be given, like you said, to Leon Russell as well and Joe Cocker because they're sitting down, you know, when they're planning this whole tour and all this stuff, and you don't have your... You know, he, Joe Cocker doesn't have his own material. So it's almost like they're sitting down putting together this giant mixtape. It's like, OK, yeah. what are we going to do? What are we going to, you know, how are we going to craft this program? You know, like what songs And the song choice is so important. And it just seems like they just got everything right. You know, yeah. With and, this. and
0: I would credit that also to to raw talent. I mean, I, I definitely see that with Joe. I mean, he, he just has this raw talent for singing and performing where it's not something that you, you can put a label on, so to speak. He, he just has it, you know, and, and Leon has it too. I mean, just a, a, a great arranger, you know, like a wizard almost where he can, you know, you know, put things together and, and make them work, you know, through a fundamental system that he's sort of developed in his own noggin, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I, about two or three years ago um uh, Russell did a record with Elton John uh, where they they kind of do some stuff together and and I, I they had a podcast I listened to where they sit and talk about just different songs and the, the guy has such a great mind for for how music comes together you know and he's just one of those guys is you know he, he's he's kind of you know I don't want to say you know aloof, but he is in a way. I mean, he he's not real, you know. You know, I guess you would call like Hollywood. You know, he he really doesn't like that kind of stuff. So, so it would seem. Even in the movie, there's a scene where they all they're all getting off the bus, and they and Leon gets off. And there's there Leon. He covers his face like you know. Don't take my picture out. Please don't take my picture. <laughs> and and I mean, he's just one of those guys. He he just wants to make music. He's not into the the fame of it necessarily. I, I'm sure that's a big part of it for him. But I think he has more of a love for making music, making good music. And then, you know, after he's done, he's he's goes back to wherever he is and, you know, in the country in Texas or wherever. And, and he just kind of vanishes, you know, you know, you're not going to see him at these parties and, you know, necessarily. And, and hobnobbing, I mean, just Leon just wants to jam, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just, I have an appreciation for, for that, for sure. I mean, just someone who they're, their their talent and and their love for what they're doing comes first and and all the other you know mess you know i'm sure that that that's in there too but it's not near as important you know so
1: yeah yeah cool man well let's check out this last track cool cool this is feeling all right just heard Joe Cocker feeling all right, and that's going to do it for episode number 42 of the 1000 Recordings Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, send it to 1000 podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to go to our website, go to 1000RP.blogspot.com. If you would like to join us on Twitter, you can join us at twitter.com slash 1000RP. And you can join us on Facebook as well. And watch that awesome film of Mad Dogs and Englishmen, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm going to. Um, what do we have next week?
0: Uh, looks like a, a project that Don Cherry was associated with, uh, Conda Three uh, by Conda. That that's going to be interesting. It's like Don Cherry and I think it's uh,
1: I think it's Cadona.
0: A uh, Cadona. I'm sorry. That's good. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> guy who plays the dulcimer. Uh, Colin Walcott. That sure. should be interesting. Yeah. Um uh, uh like you said, songs of Leonard Cohen, that that's gonna be fun. I I really don't want to mess that one up. That that should be really, really interesting. And then um the complete after midnight sessions, uh Nat King Cole and his trio, which that I love Nat King Cole. Yeah, he, same here. He has a voice that is really, really one of the greatest voices this planet will ever hear, I believe. Yeah. So
1: yeah. I agree. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, so Yeah, am I forgetting anything? <laughs>
0: I think that I think that's it. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure there's something we're probably forgetting, but you know, basically I think I think that's it. You know, it's just it's been it's been an interesting few weeks in the last few weeks we both have had stuff kind of go on here and there, but I mean, just you know, good to get back and and, and talk music and, and be nerds. For, oh for yeah, an hour, dude. You know, yeah, yeah, totally, and,
1: uh, totally good to get back being a
0: nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so cool.
1: All right, man. Well, uh, yeah. Until next time. Um, yeah, we're gonna cover uh, more albums from Tom Moon's book, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. All
0: right, take care, everybody. Bye bye.
1: Close to the mic and talk like this.